Welcome to Granite State Matters, the busy person's way to catch up with what's happening in Concord. Because the extremists are taking over the state house, And what you don't know can hurt you. I'm Steve Marchand. And I'm Terry Harkins. In today's podcast, we're going to follow the trail that led to the New Hampshire State House this year. To pass some of the most risky, extreme policies in the nation. It's a story of how a small, radical minority is being empowered by a shrinking conservative party that now capitulates to them to reach a majority. Talk about unintended consequences. Our guest, Gary Reno, has written extensively about the takeover and the lack of response by the leaders who could have quashed it. We'll speak with Gary later. But Terry, we already touched on the problem of extremist empowerment in our last episode about redistricting, remember? Right. We saw, for example, how gerrymandering gave Republicans 14 of 24 New Hampshire Senate seats, even though half the votes went for Democrats. So Republicans didn't have to compromise with Democrats. Instead, GOP leaders had to negotiate with radicals in their own party and accept their outrageous policies. Otherwise, they wouldn't have the majority to pass the bills. But gerrymandering, drawing voter districts to give one party unfair advantage, is only one part of the problem. Tell us about the history of the free staters in New Hampshire, Terry. Wow, the free staters. Yeah, that is truly a story every Granite Stater needs to know about. The Free State Project was founded two decades ago with its goal to take over a low population state and make it a libertarian utopia. Well, in a libertarian utopia, citizens would have no responsibilities to society except to leave each other be. Right. And when Jason Sorens announced his Free State Project in 2001, he stated as its goal to secede from the United States. And the New Hampshire Constitution reserves the right to do so. So that made us an ideal takeover target. Sorens claims that secession is a stealth libertarian strategy to set up their cult's utopia, which all sounds pretty crazy until you realize that over 5,000 Free Staters have already moved here. And their website claims that they've elected 45 state reps to the New Hampshire House. Last December, 37 Free Staters, including seven of these House members, submitted a termination of the state document to the Secretary of State declaring the New Hampshire government illegitimate. And founder Jason Sorens is now the director of St. Anselm's Center for Ethics and Society. According to his LinkedIn bio, he is working on topics there, including secessionism. Not surprising, then, that nine free state reps submitted a constitutional amendment this fall to require New Hampshire to secede from the United States. The prime sponsor, Michael Sylvia, suggested that supporters use racial and immigrant stereotypes to frighten residents into voting for secession. They even set up a website called the Progressive State Project, facetiously encouraging progressives to move out of state, like go to Connecticut or California. It describes how horrible life in New Hampshire will be for anyone but radical libertarians like themselves. So they're feeling pretty cocky at this point, <laughs> huh, Terry? Uh, it's no wonder, given the way GOP leadership has responded to all their radical actions. Right. So what has leadership done, Steve? 
In a word, nothing. <laughs> they did not expel Michael Sylvia and the other members who signed the termination of state document. They did not even censure them. When free staters stormed an executive council meeting and threatened the governor's staff, were they arrested? Were they expelled from the meeting? No, the council just terminated their meeting, gave in to the extremists while the governor slipped out the back door. Exactly. And the governor, the man who used to refuse to respond to phone calls or emails from Democrat Donna Susi when she was president of the state Senate, this governor trades text with the very free staters leading the uprising. He not only caves into the extremists, he enables them. Yeah, well, perhaps he's afraid they'll primary him in the next election. No doubt. But Steve, that's only one small piece of how free staters and their collaborators are changing life in New Hampshire. And unless we all wake up and pay attention... The free staters will be well on their way to dismantling our public schools, our public services, our health care, environmental protections... Because the upshot is, they naively believe they can, like their symbol, the porcupine, curl up in a ball and everyone will leave them alone. But actually, they're more like snakes on a plane. Uh, the GOP is trying to make deals with them. The governor thinks he can still be the pilot, regardless of what's happening behind him in the passenger cabin. So if New Hampshire did become a libertarian utopia with no regulations, what would happen? Will the whole state become like the town of Grafton, where free staters did take over and repealed most regulations. They stopped garbage pickup and reportedly bears took over, strolling through town in broad daylight, attacking people. Far more than bears, Terry. In a libertarian utopia, with no environmental protections, our forests would be raised, gas pipelines would proliferate, the state would become a dumping ground for toxic waste. If there are no zoning laws, cannabis shops could open next door to your schools. If there's no building codes, there'd be more collapses and fires. And now that they've dropped requirements in education, our children are going to lose out if, the, if we don't reinstate them. I've got to believe that our forefathers passed rules and regulations for a reason. It isn't that we can't debate whether government should be a 3 or a 7 on a 1 to 10 scale. That's what Republicans and Democrats have done forever. But these guys want to take it to a place where it's never been before. They think a 3, conservative, is too liberal. They think if you want to pave your section of the road in front of your house, that's okay. It's up to me whether or not I want to pave my section. You know, Steve, utopias have been promised by charismatic cult leaders like Sorens many times in the past. I don't know, I'm thinking Jonestown. The problem is people don't pay attention until it's too late, and that's really why we're making this podcast. Amen. And it's not just free staters and their cults inside New Hampshire. There are corporations, political action committees, all over the country spending money to help pass radical legislation right here in New Hampshire because it benefits them. And that's the topic of our next podcast, Steve. Why are outsiders so interested in New Hampshire? And what are they doing here? Uh, looking forward to that one. But meanwhile, this is Granite State Matters podcast on radicals in the New Hampshire State House. We'll be back in a moment with journalist Gary Reno who is full of stories about just what extremists are up to and how it's resulting in legislation and policies that will change our lives dramatically. We're really pleased today uh, to have as our guest for the program, Gary Reno, 
Uh, Gary currently uh, has a column that's must read in New Hampshire, Distant Dome. It's carried by In-Depth NH, other news media in the state. Uh, those of us that have been around in uh, politics and civic life know uh, Gary has been a staple of the news for decades now. Always been a pleasure to read your stuff, and it's really a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. We're talking about radicals in the state house, the kind of radicalization uh, over the last several years. Specifically, who are we talking about when you hear that term being used? Who are some specific examples? Who are some of the most prominent leaders? Let's start on that vein. The first one you have to start with is Jason Osborne, who is the majority leader of the House now. He uh, was sort of a surprise nominee at the time when he was named, but uh, as we found out, it was a good reason why he was named as majority leader. He he helped put in and bring in a lot of uh, people with similar philosophies. Another one would be uh, Jess Edwards. He's a, also from Auburn, as is uh, Jason Osborne. Uh, Michael Sylvia from Belmont. He's the one who wants to, he is going to introduce a uh, constitutional amendment to secede from uh, the union. There are a whole, I mean, to, to be honest with you, there's a whole lot of them, say, would be leaders. But also, I think Carol McGuire is worth noting. She was an early free stater moving to New Hampshire. Um, I could go on, but then, then we start naming everybody. Yeah. Much. So Gary, you've been watching New Hampshire for many years. How have things changed at the state house since the free staters arrived? Well, I, I go back to probably just before the 2010, 2011 election. Uh, there are a couple of free staters who got elected. Uh, Mark Warden was one of them that I remember. Uh, but they got kind of a boost in the 2010 elections. Uh, there are a number of them there, and they, uh, they had a, a, a speaker who was sort of willing to let them do whatever they wanted to and Bill O'Brien uh, in terms of legislation and things like that. Uh, but there weren't many of them, and the legislation that they introduced often was very specific about certain situations. Jason Osborne, you have to kind of give him credit for he uh, had a very astute strategy of picking, going through and picking very safe Republican seats with what you might call Repo moderate Republicans in those seats. And the idea being that no matter who the Republican was, that they would get elected in November. And so they ended up uh, primarying a lot of these seats and they were pretty successful at it. And uh, consequently, there was a fair number of new free staters slash Republicans elected to the House. Um, the numbers that you hear really was between 80 and 90. Not, they weren't the new ones all, but I mean, when you put them all together, there were like 80 or 90 of them. And um, which made a significant difference because now with a very slim majority for Republicans, they need all the votes that they can get. And consequently, uh, these people were able to uh, drive the agenda for most of the session this last time. Uh, and on top of that, I mean, it was sort of like a, a three-way triumphant, if you will, of free staters and, and the religious right and um, Second Amendment uh, supporters. Hmm. And they all got together and they sort of had this little alliance 
and they all got what they wanted. The, the free staters were particularly concerned about the powers of the governor. So they were very, they very much wanted to restrict what the governor was able to do after what happened with the, uh, with the lockdown and everything else earlier with the COVID, as well as um, issues with vaccinations and masks and all that. The, the religious right got what it wanted in terms of abortion. After the 23rd week, they're banned. Uh, and then the um, Second Amendment folks got more relaxation of gun laws in New Hampshire than they already are. So that they hung together and they pretty much drove the whole agenda for the, the legislature this year. You know, Gary, I want to go down that road a, a little bit more. A moment ago, you alluded to back around 2010, you could see the, the seeds of this getting planted. Mm -hmm. The Republicans at that point had enormous majorities in the state House and state Senate. Um, Bill O'Brien was the speaker. You had some of these free state types. And yet it feels like today with this much narrower majority in the House, especially, it feels like the free state uh, type leaders are able to get more done than they were 10 years ago when they had an almost three to one advantage in the house at one point. Is it this coalition? What's with the discipline here uh, compared to maybe a decade ago that allows, you know, Governor Sununu to kind of go along with them more often than not and allows a lot of Republicans who probably would not identify certainly publicly as sort of these radical free state types. But it seems like they're able to do this with a very narrow majority in a way they couldn't achieve such things 10 years ago with an, a supermajority. Is that right? And what's going on there? Well, I think that's true to some extent. I think 10 years ago they had a supermajority, but um, it wasn't, uh, there were a lot of Republicans in that supermajority that moderate Republicans. And this sounded kind of more or less a, an endangered species these days in a house in New Hampshire. The whole issue of discipline, I mean, he's, Jason Osborne has run a very tight ship, that's for sure. Uh, and people who don't go along with the program soon find out that they, they're not the committee chair anymore or the committee vice chair, they get replaced. And um, it sort of wises people up that if you want your, your position, if you want your parking space, if you want your committee assignment, then you better do what the leadership wants you to do. And the other part of that seems to be that he is calling the shots, Jason Osborne. Uh, Sherm Packard is the House Speaker, but I mean, he was elected Speaker after Dick Hench uh, contacted COVID and died after he was elected Speaker. And I don't think um, Sherman Packard had quite the rapport with most of these people that Dick Hench did. And Consequently, he has not been particularly um, willing to buck them much. He seems to want to be going along because I think he just wants to have a smooth sailing as best he can. Uh, but that's not what's happened, obviously. So, Gary, where do you see this all headed? I mean, if things continue as is. I mean, we see things like, uh, well, like the secession uh, constitutional amendment, recall elections, more to do with, uh, I mean, there are like 50 or 60 bills about mandates for masks and, and vaccinations, and it's just all kinds of stuff like that. I just don't see that it's going to stop in the next session. 
I think it's going to continue. I think it's going to see more of the more of the the push toward libertarianism in this state. So if you're looking at the alternative to this, and I guess I'd ask this both from the perspective of a Republican, like perhaps Governor Sununu, who does not identify, at least certainly not in a dogmatic way with the free staters, but also the Democrats who are sitting there in the minority, but, you know, in a pretty tight House and Senate. What is the alternative? What theoretically could or should Governor Sununu do to try to prevent the, his brand, as he says he's going to run one more time, his brand and the Republican brand from just totally getting taken over by the free staters? And if you're the Democrats looking at this with, you know, 190 seats out of 400, but feeling kind of powerless most of the time, what could or should they be doing uh, from their perspective? I'm not sure that the Democrats can do much anyway, because they have, uh, I mean, they have a very close majority, but they have a number of, of representatives that just can't uh, really go to the sessions as much as they, because of various health issues and so on. So it's usually down, they usually have about a 20 vote margin, Republicans do. Hmm. Uh, it's hard to say what they could do. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the governor is not perhaps too happy about having to deal with some of the issues that they brought to him. Uh, I think the Senate did a good job of kind of protecting him through the state budget with a lot of the things that he would have had to either veto or or done something very differently than he did. So he's been sort of protected by it. He sort of played footsies with these uh, free staters and, and libertarians. I, I think part of the problem is, you know, you need these votes. Uh, the other problem is, I think he was thinking of running for the U.S. Senate at that point, at some point, and he didn't want to have happened to him what happened to Kelly Ayotte, which was a free stater decided to run uh, an independent campaign for U.S. Senate, which drew enough votes away from her to actually get Maggie Hassan elected. So he's kind of stuck in a difficult situation, but I think what anybody has to do at this point, truthfully, is people have to know who you're electing. That's the biggest alternative that you can have, is to stop stop these people from getting under the radar and getting into the into the legislature. So I think the worst thing that ever happened in terms of the legislature uh, in the last 20 years is the death of weekly newspapers and little radio stations with news departments. Mm because they used to interview every candidate that was running for the House or the Senate or for whatever. So people had at least an opportunity to know who these people are. And oftentimes you just don't anymore because they're under the radar. And so when you also have the highly partisan, charged partisan situation, um, Democrats go in and vote for Democrats, Republicans go in and vote for Republicans, and who knows what you get at the end of the day. And I think half of what the problem is, is you just have to, people have to get more involved in finding out who's representing them and why they're running for office. And otherwise, I don't think this is going to change much. Gary, thank you so much for your insight. Uh, always valuable and appreciate in a, in a diminishing media environment, uh, you're an even more important uh, voice uh, than ever in New Hampshire. Thanks for your time, Gary. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, that was Gary Reno, whose uh, column, Distant Dome, Must Reading, 
If you're a listener to this podcast, I can't believe you wouldn't enjoy his column. Uh, it's carried by In-Depth NH, other news media around the state. Thanks again to Gary. So, Terry, we need good people to run for state offices in 2022 against the radicals. That's right. And you can find a list of candidates that the radicals at the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance support on our website, granitestatematters.org. This has been Granite State Matters' discussion on radicals in the New Hampshire State House. Our next episode will focus on groups outside New Hampshire who are working to change the New Hampshire way of life. And you can follow our bi-weekly podcast at your favorite podcast provider and share it with friends and neighbors because extremists are taking over the statehouse. And what you don't know can hurt you.